You're listening to The Reality Show, hosted by Dan Rutstein, president of immersive tech company, Laduna. Each episode delves deep into the power and potential of immersive technology in business, entertainment, or sport, now and in the future. So I'm very excited to have a guest who I've known for many years to be on the podcast today. So as is always the case, rather than doing some long introduction where I read out her Wikipedia entry, I'm going to ask Beatty Wolf to tell us why she thinks she's been invited onto this podcast. Oh, Dan, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, Is it because I understood one of the tricks at the Magic Castle? It's not because of that, um, and uh, it's not just because you're an amazing singer uh, whose music I sometimes listen to in my car, but not with my son in the back, because at least one of your songs has one swear word in it. Oh, um, just but, one. Um, it's because of all the things you do to change how people listen to your music and some of the entrepreneurial innovations you've come up with. Um, so... Tell us how you would describe yourself if you were about to be introduced on a panel, and I know you speak on lots of these things. What, what, what's the sort of two-liner to describe the wonderful world of Beatty Wolf? Well, I'm, you know, I'm a musician, I'm a songwriter, um, and that's the core of everything that I do. But I'm also, you know, I guess, I think innovators become kind of sort of somewhat bankrupt as an expression, but... The way I see it is I, I've created these formats for my albums over the years um, that sort of represent the vinyl experience that I had as a kid that really imprinted on me. Um, and I've tried to make relevant for today's generation by, you know, sort of combining the best of the old with the best of the new. Very good. So... I want to talk, some of this is about, immersive technology is about storytelling, and I want to talk about sort of how you do storytelling with your music, but let's actually talk about some of your innovations for those of you who have not heard of Beatty Wolf, although given the number of podcasts you've been on, the talks you've done, your social media, most people probably have heard of you. So let's go back to when we met, because this is the first time I saw something clever and different with music. Um, So we met in... 2013. 2013. So, yeah, so basically what, you know, it's kind of amazing because that was the beginning of, of all of it. Um, that was the first album, um, you know, I'd realised that having grown up, you know, with this impression as a kid of these records as tangible experiences that could tell a story that had a ceremony to them, you know, I spent all of my childhood imagining what worlds I could create for my albums and I grew up and suddenly everything physical had been replaced with digital and we'd gone from one to the other so quickly it's like we hadn't figured out what was actually good about the old format that we could have preserved. Um, So for the first album I suddenly realized oh my god it's going to be this intangible digital download that will exist in this one format only um, and it won't have a physical component, it won't really tell a story Um, It won't necessarily have this ceremony that I love about vinyl. And I was determined to find a way of of sort of thinking about it differently and essentially creating the vinyl experience for 
what everyone was now on, which was their telephone, their iPhone. Telephone. <laughs> wow, so classic. We're so old. It was, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, one of the inspirations with the first innovation was the magic box, you know, the, the old Viewmaster. So I had this idea of sort of turning the iPhone into this Viewmaster experience where you could watch an album uh, in the palm of your hand and it appeared as if, you know, sort of holographs were jumping out of the phone. So it was, it was basically a little device that you put on your phone and then a little magic hologram of BT Wolf appears and you watch the album from your phone. Yeah, so like really the way that you, you know, the best way of describing it was like having a theatre for the palm of your hand where, you know, you were using this really simple lightweight device, slipped your phone into that. Um, It was working using Pepper's ghost mechanism. So then it was kind of like, yeah, like you had this sort of, view into this um, sort of box which allowed you to watch a record um, kind of as this like 3D, it was a 3D album experience really. And obviously it's, how much of the interest in it at the time, of which there was much, because obviously I was working for the government and I got interested and started telling people about it and you started getting invited to speak at various events as a result, how much of it was because it was a gimmick and how much of it is because it actually allowed you to sort of sing in front of people in a different way? I think people, you know, so, so where it came from in terms of the intention behind it was how do you reposition music? How do you make people see music or an album as something they want to sit down with again, like they would sit down with a record? Um, and actually it was amazing watching people's reactions to it because they were genuinely captivated and that, you know, it's like looking at a phone, but looking at a phone in an entirely different way where it's transformed into this thing you've never seen before. And you're having a much deeper experience around actually seeing the record come to life. Um, so, you know, you could argue that with the first innovation, yeah, it was, you know, it was definitely completely different no one had done anything like it the response was amazing you know GQ Wired did the the premieres of it um I ended up doing this tour with Apple but weren't you the well I think you told me the first person to do events at three of the Apple theatres or something I can't remember well so the way they said it and this is wow such a big compliment Apple but you know I was the first artist to do a global tour with Apple (laughs) There you go, there's a claim to fame for the ages. (laughs) But, you know, it was this thing where, um, actually, and and it's a really, it's not the most incredible story, but I remember being downstairs um, in the New York theatre and, you know, and there were a lot of, a lot of, like, the staff getting this event ready and everything and they hadn't seen the Palm Top Theatre experience. There were maybe 40 people downstairs and and I was passing through and... um, you know, one of the leads had sort of asked if I would show the team, you know, and you're talking to some pretty jaded tech people and it's this tiny, it's like a size of an envelope and I just held out my hand and literally this whole group was just crowded around this tiny phone like, oh my God. And at that point, you know, it's funny because yes, the editors or the journalists or whatever, their response was great, but actually seeing that number of people who interact with those products every day be completely excited about how 
this album was being presented. So I have to be careful how I ask this without meaning to sound rude, and of mm. course I'm not trying to be because I like your music. But um, I guess what you know, you you started off as a you know you're a musician. Your music, obviously, the, like all these things about storytelling, if the music's not very good, all the clever innovations wouldn't work. So you are a talented musician. Your music is is great to listen to. At what point did you decide that you wanted to do this sort of thing, this sort of technological innovation in music, rather than spending the same amount of time just doing the music in a more traditional way? Honestly, Dan, I wouldn't have done any of this stuff if I if I was born in the 60s, if I was born in the 70s, or if I was growing up, if I was making music in the 60s or 70s, even 90s, you know, when albums still meant something. I wouldn't have done any of the tech stuff because the album was enough. It was... You know, people respected it as an art form. People valued it. People would sit down with a record. They would buy every album of Led Zeppelin and follow, you know, go go and watch them live. And there was this real sense that music was meaningful and it was, it was substantial. And that every aspect of that packaging, of that presentation was, it was sort of part of the art form. So for me, it was because I'd spent so much time with these albums, with these tangible albums. And that was where, you know, that was kind of what made sense to me. And that was what imprinted on me as a kid. For me, it was how do you make that format exciting again? You know, it's almost like making the familiar feel magical and making the nostalgic innovative. Yeah, that's a a lovely way of phrasing it because I think... You know, a lot of the companies that work in this space, it is about experiences and turning, making things magical because you can, by using this immersive technology, you can take people to a different place. And even if you're telling the same story, you're telling it in a, in a more magical way. So where did you go after this? Because every time I met you, I used to bump into you sort of every year or two on the circuit of British governments and moving into London and whatever we used to meet in different places and every time I met you had a new thing so obviously we, there was the uh, the Palm Top Theatre and then at, at some point we ended up with a magical jacket um, <laughs> so why don't you tell me about that yeah so the so the first album was a 3D theatre for the palm of your hand the second album because I loved album jackets and sleeves you know they were a big part of telling a story um, in that experience. So the second album was was a reimagining of the album jacket, literally as an album jacket that was cut by the tailor who dressed Bowie Hendrix Jagger out of fabric which was woven with my music that was recorded in the room where McCartney wrote Eleanor Rigby, Hendrix wrote The Wind Cries Mary, a space that probably, you know, saw the birth of some of the greatest songs in history. Um, and so I love that idea. Again, if you think about just the simple original album jacket, you know, all the stories that, that those could tell. And so this was a, was a physical jacket that, again, told the story of the house, of the tailor, of the, the album, all sort of woven together. Um, and you could also tap your phone onto the fabric to hear the music that was woven into it. That was the least interesting part in my you know that was kind of I never got excited about the, that but everyone else got excited about how, how that. do you weave music into a jacket so you know it's it's sort of twofold and excuse the pun 
but you know on on the one hand what you saw um kind of as the the visual representation across the jacket and you've seen it um that was a very sophisticated version of the waveform so you could see you know the bass frequencies you could see the audience applause um but then and you, there must have been lots of audience applause <laughs> well, yeah so we recorded it you know we i recorded this record Montague Square in this incredible space and that was also part of it it was about having the resonance of that historic house and everything that had gone on there and that again was sort of part of the story and and part of you know having a physical object that represented all of these aspects you know this house the history of the tailor and all the people he dressed which were you know similar amazing musical inspirations of mine um but with yeah and then with the with the actual fact that you could tap you know the fabric with your phone that was using this um nfc technology which was something that i'd used for the second part of the release which was an album as a deck of cards um and so that appeared it looked a bit like a, a cassette tape again physical box you know beautiful artwork um you open that up you have a card for each track of the album with the lyrics the liner notes you tap that song card to your phone and it instantly brings up the music video you know the song the the story of that track the story of the album and it was this idea of again having something physical that looked very nostalgic which then you could you know discover all the content of that record through and that was being updated all the time so it felt like a, a sort of living vinyl um and the reason i did that was because i saw that the musical jacket you know it was such a high end like kind of art, artistic piece and it was also about looking at music as art and having it having music be exhibited as art which it of course ended up being um and so with that it, i realized you can only make one because it's about just having one you know exist um so the line of beatty wolf musical jackets it's not available in every marks and spencer yet <laughs> no cuz you know first it would be very expensive sure it would and um and you know and it was about celebrating it as a piece of art but i i i always loved the idea of having things be as inclusive as possible so you know with the 3d theater for the palm of your hand um at one stage you know apple were trying to encourage me to charge for that and at that point i just wanted it to be i actually i'm you know i made it free because i wanted as many people as possible to experience it with the deck of cards for the second record um i you know i kind of did that realizing the jacket was this one of one you know item but again i wanted to create something for everyone yeah. so the deck of cards was the was you know something everyone could enjoy. So before we move on to more of the innovations like the augmented reality stuff that you've done. Thinking about other people in this space. So what other things have people done in terms of using technology to tell the story of music in a more physical way that you've seen from other artists that you've you've liked and why haven't more people done things like the one you've done so maybe not the jacket because that's complicated and very mm. personal but things like the the, the palm the palm top theater why didn't more people use that so two yeah. questions wrapped into one there i'll start with your second question because it's easier um i i don't know dan you know and and honestly like the 
you know, the first album, the Palm Top Theatre, that was coming up to, you know, almost seven years ago. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, you know, within a year, everyone will be doing stuff like this, because it was so obvious to me. These innovations have always appeared so obvious to me, like the next logical step. Um, And I guess I have been surprised that there isn't as much exploration and and curiosity. Um, And a lot of that is because the music industry is very uninnovative. You know, labels and other managers have asked if they can buy my formats, you know, for their artists. And I'm just not interested. (laughs) You know, it was never about that. It was about, it was about a story that was specific to me and a narrative that really made sense to me based on what I loved and the way my brain worked. Um, But with the intention of inspiring people to be more creative if they are artists or be more curious if they're artists or if they're the audience to not be so passive and to realize that they can have, you know, just different experiences around music. So talking of which, let's move on to the the augmented reality stuff. Um, Tell us the story of uh, Raw Space and Bell Labs. And this was also a a first. That's this maybe a bit more tangible than the Apple first. So tell me what this was and how it came about and what you were trying to achieve. Well every you know every design that I've created for music um, has been a first you know of its kind. Um, that's you know the part that when I'm doing it the exhibition at the Victorian Albert Museum which is in London for our American listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a, you know, they, the way they sort of um, curated it or framed it was, you know, a series of world first designs by BT Wolf. You know, so it's always nice to have. It's weird because I kind of don't care about that, but then obviously it's great to be able to say this was something you've invented and it's not just one thing, it's 10 things and they're all different and they all show a sort of proof of concept that again goes beyond a gimmick which can sometimes happen if you've just done one of them um, and if you then can't replicate that. But it's 10 things with a theme. Yeah. Oh. They're all different technologies from different time periods where things were newer than others. Yeah. But the theme is still around making music more immersive, more um, tangible and making people more interactive with it. The theme is the intention, uh, the why, because I think so much of this, you have to know why you're doing it, otherwise you're doing something for the sake of doing it, or you're bringing in technology in a way that feels unintegrated or sort of superfluous. Um, And so with me, you know, since I was eight, I have literally been thinking what, could the vinyl experience for today look like? You know, what worlds could I create for my albums? Um, And that's been running through my head nonstop. So when you have that continuous sort of loop, like a record player, just, you know, looping the same album, like with Raw Space from the world... Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you again, because I want to hear about the Raw Space thing, but the irony of this is vinyl's actually making a massive comeback at the moment. Yeah. So it's just ruining it all for you, because actually people are listening to vinyl properly. <laughs> no, that's the whole point, Dan. Again, like, people saying that it's making a, a huge comeback, 
Look, I'm delighted. Vinyl is, for me, the perfect format. It is hands down the perfect format. However, like when you look at the numbers compared, you know, so the fact it's making a comeback, yes, it's making a comeback compared to, you know, whatever. But is it substantial? (laughs) No. You know, and and the thing is, is with the streaming sites, like that is just the go-to for most people. Um, and, And with, you know, so with the first two albums, like they were done at a, at a time when it was digital downloads. It was iTunes and all of that. And they were a kind of a reaction or a response, you know, to that going on. Um, that being the, you know, musical environment. And then with Raw Space, we'd moved into streaming. And I, you know, was thinking, okay, if this is streaming on the one hand, this is what it currently is what could it be you know if you were to try and imagine like a deeper richer more immersive streaming experience like how could that look how could that feel and while i was thinking about that i happened to be on site at bell labs talking with some of their engineers about you know some potential ideas um and one of their engineers said do you want to go into you know this anechoic chamber which was the quietest room on earth for several decades um, and it was the room where, you know, they discovered rogue frequencies and psych- psychoacoustics and where Helen Keller said she experienced silence for the first time. Um, it's where they built the foil microphone. Like in terms of art audio history, it's probably one of the most significant spaces on the planet. And me being a super geek, you know, I was like, yeah, well, of course I want to go in there. You are a super geek. Every time I've, uh, <laughs> we talk about this stuff, like, <laughs> you know, you know your music history, you know your detail in a in a way that, you know, it goes beyond the, the usual. You know, you're a, yeah. sort of a, a scientist of music. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, and so, yeah, I'd been kind of, I'd been warned going into the chamber that, um you know, you can hear the blood rushing through your veins. People couldn't stay in there. Can you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the engineers wouldn't be able to stay in there longer than 20 minutes or half an hour because you, yeah, you start to go kind of crazy. Um, so I was expecting to freak out in there. And instead, I I just fell in love with this room and I felt what real silence, you know, felt like. And you realize... God, you have so much noise, you know, we have so much noise around us all the time. And it made me realize that music has become part of that noise. And immediately in my mind, you know, thinking about this anti-stream and what that would look like, this anti-echo chamber uh, represented the perfect ceremonial listening experience for for the album. So I sort of brought those two together and I came up with this idea to have a physical record player playing the album on repeat 24 hours for a week from, you know, the quietest room on earth where people could log in via the 360 cameras. We'd be live streaming it. They'd be able to explore that room, hear the music played in that pure focused way. And they couldn't fast forward. They couldn't shuffle. They couldn't, you know, um, interfere in that sense. But then as the record was spinning using live augmented reality, the lyrics would be streaming out of the vinyl, the artwork would be surrounding you, and suddenly the chamber would transform into the visual landscape of each track. And that would be happening in real time. Is this an experience people watched through virtual reality headsets? or? So it- when it launched, people were watching it, you know, 
just simply on their computers, on their phones, you know, in 360. Some people were watching it on headsets. It was fully 3D. So if you had a headset, you could watch it that way. I liked the idea, again, of it being as inclusive as possible. So it still looked super beautiful just watching it on the phone or, you know, the computer. Um, But at that point, you know, Live 360 had only kind of just been tested on Facebook. Um, Live 360 AR had never been done before. So, you know, we were streaming 4K video and blending, um, you know, live augmented reality with that that footage in real time, and so having butterflies flying around and the lyrics coming out. Yeah, so you know, as that song was playing, the lyrics for that track would be streaming out in real time, and every song had its own world. So just as you know, no two songs are the same. It wasn't really thinking about it like a music video. It was thinking about it like what is the visual world of the story and what would complement the music in the most natural way. Um, So, you know, as much as those songs were hard-coded in terms of the visual landscape, there was also a generative aspect. So, you know, within track two, this amazing Salvador Dali desert plane where, you know, this Yakometi character is hanging himself, at the end of that song, you know, if you're logging in at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, you could be in this flurry of crows, but if someone was logging in that afternoon, they might be swept up in a sandstorm. So there was this wonderful ability for the narratives to be sort of, um, the na- that while the narrative was fixed, the visual landscape would respond literally to the record playing in that moment. And what was the reaction to it in terms of, you know, did a lot of people log in and view it? And what sort of reaction did you get to it? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, because also it was YouTube's longest live stream. I mean, there were, yeah, there were kind of a lot of things that it was a first for. Um, You know, the stat counter gets updated every eight hours or so. So, you know, say you're like, oh, you know, 300,000 people have watched it in this period of time, but then it gets to the eight hour point and it goes back to yeah so actually there's no it was kind of weird because there's no way of of figuring out the total number across that week except you'd obviously see these periods of time where it was you know where you'd get a sense okay if that's what we had on that day then you know time seven so this is a slightly more sophisticated version of when Gangnam Style broke the counter because it had too many views. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was more that like it was so new that they didn't know how to even capture, you know, the wow. the viewers. But um, yeah, it had an amazing response, you know, as it was streaming. Before I ask you about your sort of next projects, be interested to take your sort of non-musical view of technology in terms of your views on, you know, how much sort of virtual reality you've seen, augmented reality you've seen in, in non-musical uses. And are there non-musical interactive immersive experiences that you've seen that you've been particularly impressed with sort of the use of technology? Yeah, I mean, I got a, you know, and it sounds like I'm keeping it very close to home, but the design team that I worked with um, on this, pro- on Raw Space, um, Design.io, uh, yeah, your your brother's company. Yeah, look, I'm go- I'm gonna say it as it is. Like Theo, Theo and Emily, it's my brother and his sister-in-law. 
um, my brother and my sister-in-law. <laughs> that would be pretty weird otherwise. Um, you know, they, they are amazing. I mean, they truly are. And my brother, even before he formed the company with Emily, um, he created something that I will just tell you about because it's one of the greatest uses of technology I've ever seen. I'm thinking about getting your brother on this podcast because, yeah. you know, my company do versions of these sort of interactive spaces, but I've seen some of the stuff they do and it's incredible. Yeah, and so he, like, even before Design.io, um, he, you know, he left Parsons, um, he did, you know, computer science at Parsons, and his professor actually asked to start a company with him because he thought, you know, he was really, really good. And they created this thing called the iWriter, which um, was this very simple to assemble piece of um, eyewear that anyone could build using 50 bucks at home. Um, and they developed it for this paraplegic graffiti artist so that you know, you'd wear the glasses and it would essentially map the movement of your eye and allow this guy who you know, was paralyzed from the eyes down to be able to recreate his tag just with his eyes. Um, which would then be projected using this thing my brother developed called laser tag onto the building of the hospital, um, you know, outside, which you could then see. And, you know, this was 10 years ago or, you know, potentially even more. And it was so, you know, and he won an award for it. And, um, but it was so meaningful. And, you know, he and I have always bounced ideas, you know, sort of back and forth because, for me, it's like, how do you create something of meaning and, and technology is one of those tools yeah. rather than how do you impress people or how do you show off or how do you, you know, pat yourself on the back or whatever. And so, yeah, I feel like what he has created and what he and his wife have created have always been so inspiring where they truly are, you know, incredibly cutting edge but they're very humanistic. Yeah, and I think that's the key thing, is meaningful, because obviously a lot of this technology is, is fun and clever and innovative and gimmicky and is great for marketing, but obviously there will be many people who want to see it used to do something that's life-changing or can change a medium. So talking of which, what, as we wrap up, tell me what, what's next. As technology advances, what sorts of things, without giving away any secrets of your next project so it can still be a first <laughs> what's next for for bt wolf and music entrepreneurialism and innovation honestly dan i thought i was all i thought i was all done <laughs> in terms of ideas and you know i i did the exhibition at the vna which i've referenced a few times but it, it really was a life highlight because it was the first time i could present all these seemingly different outputs and show how they were all connected and you know I also had my space chamber which was after I did the you know the anti-stream I also sent raw space into space using the horn that proved the big bang with the Nobel Prize winning scientist Robert Wilson so he and I did this this space beam um, and it was the first time the horn had been used to send rather than receive sound um, and then I from that I created a space chamber where people could watch raw space uh, come to life, you know, with the live AR, but instead of putting a headset on, 
they could look through a coin-operated viewport, the kind you would look out to see, because again, it's that lovely nostalgic device that everyone knows how to interact with. And that was an amazing thing to see how much that shifted people's enjoyment of it, even um, just by the device they were using. Um, so since then, you know, I was kind of thinking, okay, that's I'm good for a while, and um, you know, and then a couple of the um, curators from the Art Institute of Chicago they came to my V&A show, and they originally were interested in just me replicating it at you know the Art Institute, um, but we set up a call to discuss, and and by that time we had we had had the call. Um, I'd come up with this other idea for the next record that would pay homage to this amazing woman, Hedy Lamarr, who invented something called frequency hopping in World War II that revolutionized the war, but also the world, because it's essentially how we use, you know, it's how our Wi-Fi works. It pretty much is the lifeblood of all technology. And she was this amazing inventor, but she was only seen as this kind of Hollywood actress you know bombshell so no one realized that she was super smart um so the next record that i'm currently recording with linda perry you know here in la uh the way that it will be presented will be using um frequency hopping uh as pioneered by hedy lamar as this 3d uh, sonic holographic experience wow that's something to look forward to yeah <laughs> now last question final final question what piece of technology needs to be invented in this sort of immersive space that would allow you to do something that is just, it's not yet invented? Hmm. Ooh. <laughs> if we could invent a way of seeing what will actually be meaningful for what Dr. Randy Wesson from JPL calls the long now, which is not just in this current bubble that we're living in right now. Um, and we could see the value of creating for the long term. That I think is the biggest issue we have as human beings right now is we're in a metric driven society and we don't realize that actually we have to be creating for many generations to come. Very good. BT Wolf, thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for listening to The Reality Show. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure to subscribe and please leave a review. You can also find us on social media at Reality Show Pod. Ask questions, leave comments and even suggest ideas for future guests.